If you haven't done so already, look on Facebook. We should have the outline that has been uploaded, so you can download it. You can just take a look at it, and you can see and follow along as I'm going through the book of Galatians. And also, open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Now, before I get started there, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to go get your Bible, get a notepad, get a pencil, take some notes, because today's message is really going to be a lot of background information. What I'm going to start doing here for the next three weeks is just kind of give you some background information on the book of Galatians, the book, who, who wrote the book, Paul, what he did and what he's done. And then on the first Sunday that we meet, we, we should get started with verse 6. So it's going to be a little bit of a journey here. It's, the messages aren't going to be that long, hint, hint. Um, and I'm praying that you can get a lot out of it. We have to understand the setting. We have to understand the man. We have to understand the church. We have to understand what was going on and why Paul was so concerned about this church. As we go through the book of Galatians, and as I mentioned before, Galatians is not necessarily a city. It's a region, kind of like the Inland Empire. And the region of Galatia was probably about 250 miles north and south and about 175 miles east and west. To put it in perspective, if you went from the border to, let's say, Bakersfield, that's about 250 miles. And if you went on the 10 from Santa Monica over to Indio, that's about 150, 175 miles as well. So it's a huge region. And Paul went through there planting churches. And this area of Galatia is uh, where Paul himself, uh, in one of the churches, was kicked out of the city. And he was kicked out, he was stoned, he was beaten up because people were not listening to the gospel. I'll give you some background information a little bit later as to what was going on in those churches and how come they weren't listening to the gospel. But it was mainly a group of people that were calling themselves those that came from the main church. And we'll find out later that these men didn't come from the main church. As a matter of fact, not only did Paul fight against them, but Paul was very strong and very forthright about what was being taught in the church. The book of Galatians has been known as the Magna Carta of the doctrine of freedom. It's the freedom in Jesus Christ. And why is it called freedom in Jesus Christ? It's because Paul fights and he struggles and he shares with the people that you have been freed from the law. You don't have to follow all these traditions and all these things that these Judaizers, these people want you to follow. It was something to the effect of you got salvation through Jesus Christ, but now you also have to follow the law of Moses. So the blood of Jesus Christ was not enough. And Paul is so upset that we'll find out here, whoever is teaching that, preaching that to you, whether it's another apostle, whether it's me, whether it's an angel, he should be cursed. Cursed and cursed and cursed again. The word he uses is anathematized. And, and that means just to be cursed and beat up and buried, unburied, cursed again and thrown away. Paul was very adamant about another gospel, which he says, it really is not another gospel. And so Paul's whole purpose of this letter is to help the church get back on track. Now, if you remember, I spoke, I talked a little bit about getting the church back on track. And not just a North Park, but I mean the church in general, the bride of Jesus Christ. I am concerned for the many different types of doctrines and teachings that are out there. 
as if God is your genie, as if God is your puppet master, as, he, as he's the one that you call to and, and you're Santa Claus and you say, this is what I want. We were never, ever called to pray that way. What, what Jesus Christ taught us, he taught us and, and he even said, it is thy will to be done, not mine, but thy. God's will to be done in our life. And the things that are taking place within our, our nation, and things that are taking place within the world are God-ordained. Do you really think that God is up there saying, you know, it's good that this election turned out the way it did. I really wish I would have had more input in it. Do you really believe that he was surprised at what happened? Or he is the one that is uh, wondering, you know, how, how, what happened? God knows everything, even from the beginning. He's up to something, as most people understand. Most believers, most Christians understand that he is up to something. And the one thing that we have to do is bring the church back to where it's supposed to be, honoring Jesus Christ. And that's what was happening here in Galatia. In the cities of Galatia, in the churches that Paul had planted, they had strayed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. Oh yes, he did do that, these Judaizers would say. But... You also have to add to that circumcision. You also have to add to that the ceremonies. You also have to add to that everything else. Basically, you can be a Christian, but you also have to follow the law of Moses. Paul was intensely concerned about the matter of gracious salvation in Christ and about the violent attacks on the gospel being made. He was concerned about all that was taking place in the cities and in the churches of Galatia. And the one thing that he wanted to get across was to get back on track. And so Paul starts off and he, he focuses on this theological treaty that him and the other apostles understood. We're going to find out here as we go along that Paul did not learn his gospel from Peter, John, James, or the other apostles. He learned it directly from Jesus Christ. And because he learned it directly from Jesus Christ, it lined up to what the people in Jerusalem were preaching and teaching. We're going to find out that Paul, on the way to Damascus, which is far away from Jerusalem, was knocked off his horse. He was on his way to Damascus to imprison these Christians, people of the way. And as he was on his way to Damascus, God stopped him and said, why are you kicking against the goads? And after that encounter that he had with Jesus Christ, face-to-face -face encounter, he spent three years away from everyone else listening and learning from Jesus Christ. And after the three years, he went out preaching the gospel that he learned from Jesus Christ. It wasn't until 12 years later that he met up with the council in Jerusalem. And their message and Paul's message was identical. And therefore, they encouraged Paul to continue on, and they sent him out to plant these churches. And so Paul has given us a testimony of what he went through, and he's given us his credentials. He's given us his authority. He's given us his background. He's given us his motivation, and he's given us his assignment and who he associates with, and he's given us the message that he has that we should be sharing as well. See, in order to trust the message, we have to know a few things about the messenger. We have to know a few things, and this is what Paul is trying to get across in the book of Galatia, Galatians. <clears throat> 
In addition to teaching the necessity of being circumcised, the Judaizers were saying, you got to keep the Mosaic law. These false teachers, they also attacked Paul. And they attacked him and they said, he's really not an apostle. See, we, we are really true apostles. We, we are self-proclaimed apostles. And we are those that know. As a matter of fact, the church back in Jerusalem, they know about us, which they didn't. And Paul has never been there. He's not, he hasn't even met these guys. And Paul is not a genuine apostle. Because to be a genuine apostle, you've had to have witnessed the, the start of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You had to be there. And Paul wasn't. And so to be an apostle, we'll, we're going to find out there's some qualifications. And so these guys were putting Paul down, and, they, and Paul was constantly fighting. And if this kind of sounds a little familiar, you got to remember that Paul was fighting against the people that were bringing in false doctrines in the book of Corinthians. We'll find the same thing in Galatia. And we'll find that in other books as well. Paul is so passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was not going to let anything else get in the way. Anything else get in the way. Now let me talk to you a little bit more about Paul. Who is this Paul? First of all, let me read to you Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to talk a little bit about Paul, and we're going to talk a little bit about his message, who he associated with, his credentials, and also his authority. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I did say verse 3, but it was just natural to go all the way to verse 5. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for this portion of scripture. Many times we read over the introduction. It almost sounds the same as, well, every other gospel, every other epistle that Paul wrote. He always starts it off with a salutation, identifying himself, grace and peace, and identifying the, the recipient of the letter. And Lord, it seems to be almost monotonous to go over this, but I believe it is very important that we understand who Paul was, that we understand the churches in Galatia, that we understand, Father, that this message is so appropriate for us today. Our church and the churches in general need to be ready because Jesus Christ is coming back for a spotless bride, a spotless lamb, and he wants a holy lamb, a holy church, a bride that is worthy of the bridegroom. So Lord, as pastor of this church and as pastors throughout the nation, I pray that we get back to the gospel and we understand it and we proclaim it and we take ownership of this gospel because it is the only thing that will save us. Thank you once again. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I named this series of Galatia, of the book of Galatians, Freedom in Jesus, because basically that's what this book is. As Martin Luther called it, 
the Magna Carta of freedom. He called it that because here is where he found that the church doesn't have the authority and the power just to make up its own rules. Because Jesus Christ has freed us from those rules and the laws. And so he had said this is the reason as to why we have to get away from all these laws and rules and whatever's going on within the church. And he went straight at the church saying we have to get back to the original of what the apostles had called us to do. Which started the great reformation. Many commentators believe that Galatians was the fuel that gave Martin Luther and the other reformers the ability to move forward and read the Word of God. We're going to find out that the church at that time was making up its own rules. And why not? The church really believed that when Jesus said, and you are Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And they believed that he was the first pastor. And because he was the first pastor, they believe that the church is the one that wrote the Bible. And because the church is the one that wrote the Bible, then the church has the authority to either change it or to be able to interpret it any way they feel like it. This is why the church right now has, is in so much big trouble. This is why the church is in big trouble. Because of the changes that they make to the Word of God. And Paul would be so angry and saying, only the Word of God, sola scriptura. Nobody wrote the, the no other church wrote the Bible. God himself wrote the Bible. And this is why we go directly according to what the Word of God says. So in order to get the message, true freedom, only through Jesus Christ, and in order to trust the message, number one, we need to know the messenger. Number one, we need to know the messenger. Paul, it starts off in verse one. His name is Paul, whose original name was Saul. He was a native of Tarsus, which is a city not far from southern Galatia. He was raised as a strict Jew, and he knew all the traditions and the laws and the fathers, because it wasn't just the law of Moses. They took the law of Moses, and they added hundreds of other traditions on top of those. And Paul made sure that he studied those, and he knew them, and he followed them, and he was raised, and he was educated under the famous rabbi Gamaliel. He was carefully trained in the Jewish law. As a matter of fact, when he's giving his testimony, he says in Acts 22, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. In Philippians, it says he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, he said he was found blameless. Paul was a diehard, God-fearing man, searching God, going after God, but also going against God without even realizing it. I don't believe that Paul was a hypocrite like some of the others that Jesus Christ talked about. He was blind. He was blinded before he was actually blinded, but he was blind to what God was doing. His passion and his zeal and his hatred toward this way that we'll find out here in just a bit it was, was something of a, was put off to the side, but God still used him. 
Before his conversion, he was advancing in Judaism and beyond many of his contemporaries among the countrymen, being more extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions. Despite his strong legalism and traditionalism, Saul did not appear to have this religious hypocrisy as many of the other Pharisees had, as I was saying. He sincerely believed and he held on to these traditions of Judaism as God's way of life for his chosen people. And like many of the Jews of his day, Paul truly loved the traditional law. He loved and he kept every commandment as best as he could. And he kept himself in check with other God-fearing men. And he would always find himself as the one that stood above and beyond. Paul was going places. Paul, or Saul at that time, he was, he was advancing. Saul was one of the top-notch persons in his school. In his school, in his education, he would have been the magna cum laude. He would have been giving the address to all the other students because of his zeal, his passion, his education, his intelligence. He had it all packed. Paul was beyond, and he was, Saul was beyond anybody that lived at that time. He says, he goes on to say in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, he says, I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Defending himself before the Sanhedrin, he also declared, he says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And when he was persecuting the Christians, causing many of them to be in prison and put to death, he says in Acts 26 verse 10, And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Saul was saying, I had all authority. I had everything locked in. I knew what I was doing for God, that this sect, this way, this people that followed this man, Jesus, was contrary to God's word. So he thought. He tells Timothy, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, he nevertheless was shown mercy because he acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul wasn't a hypocrite, blind, ignorant, closed to what God was doing, maybe so. And he was, but God set him apart, as we'll find out in verse 15. He set him apart even before he was born. He was chosen, this vile, wicked sinner, this murderous, breathing threats of murder and prison, taking care of God's children in such an evil and vile way, God chose him. You see, beloved, the Apostle Paul spoke of legalism from firsthand experience. And as these Judaizers were rising up in the church, trying to get the church back to this legalistic idea, well, you, you can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, but you have to do this as well. You know, there are some churches within our communities that'll tell you, yes, you can be saved by Jesus Christ, but you have to speak in tongues. You can be saved by Jesus Christ, but you have to say certain prayers as well. You can be saved by Jesus Christ. However, you have to do certain works. The Bible tells us, beloved, that it is by grace that we're saved through faith. This not of ourselves. You cannot save yourself. Only the power of God that wakes you up gives you the faith to respond to that grace that only God can give you. I can't muster up that faith. I don't have that faith. God, I do now, but I didn't have it before then. I was dead to my trespasses. 
And as many churches try to add to the gospel, then we start ending up in so many different ways. And this is what Paul was so adamantly preaching against. He knew legalism. He knew it firsthand. He knew all these things. And you got to stop to think. you got to really understand Paul. Or Saul, I should say. you got to understand his way of life. It's kind of like, well, I don't know. Let's, let's try a political scene. It's kind of like one side. You, 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 you talk about or think about one of the most zealous person for their political party. And the other side, another zealot for their political party. And then all of a sudden, they kind of, wow, you're right. They turn about face. You would look at them and say, what happened? Multiply that times 10,000. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Paul was moving. He was about to be the next high priest. That was his goal. He was was about to be the one in charge. And he had this zeal, this legalism, and God knocked him off his horse. He knew firsthand what this legalism can do. But you know what, beloved? He also experienced the grace of God firsthand. That's why he would say, oh, I am a sinner and I'm the chief sinner, he says. I am the worst one. I acted ignorantly. I, I, I did these things because I didn't know any better. But God, by his grace, he saved me. He wasn't looking for salvation. He didn't ask, what should I do? He wasn't saying, you know, how can I get saved? God saved him, just like he did me, just like he has you and those that have been regenerated and are now searching. Now think about that. Think about his passion and his zeal one day, and the very next day, he's humbled. Beloved, that's how God works. This is the man. This is Paul. This is who he was, and that's who he is at this time. Number two, if I'm going to trust the message or the messenger, and I want to know the message, then I need to know the messenger's authority. I need to know his authority. What is his authority? Well, the Bible tells us, Paul, he says, I'm an apostle. Paul, an apostle. An apostle, one who was sent with a commission, was an envoy, an ambassador, or a messenger. He was chosen and trained by Jesus Christ, and, his, and he was one of Jesus' special emissaries for proclaiming his truth during the formative years of the church. Jesus said, okay, you 12 are appointed to be apostles. And these 12 men were the ones to proclaim the gospel. Now we know that Judas... Well, he he betrayed Jesus and he fell out. And it was Peter that got up and he had a Bible study. He says, well, look, the Bible says in the Old Testament in Psalms that that one will fall away and we should have somebody take his place. So what they did is they got these men and they cast lot and it fell on Matthias to follow the pattern that Jesus Christ had left. And Jesus himself, through lots, the Holy Spirit himself, through the casting of lot, chose Matthias to be the next apostle. Now, there are only 12 apostles. And as an apostle, what he did, what they did, is they were given this authority. They were given this power. They were given these, this ability of signs and wonders. And they were given this authority and power and signs of wonders to authenticate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they were talking to Jews. And this authentication that, they, that followed them was able to be displayed. And people said, whoa. You guys are really from, from, from Jesus, and, and you guys are doing the same thing that Jesus did. This is why they were called Christians or little Christs. You guys are just like that guy they crucified. You guys are just like him. 
And Jesus gave them authority and power to authenticate the gospel. And these apostles, as they went out, the, the, the followers, the disciples, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The apostles taught with authority. They knew the scriptures and the Holy Spirit just came back and, and showed them everything that Jesus Christ had taught them. And so when the apostles and the prophets, when, when that was done, when it was completed and the word of God started to get out, it's the word of God that authenticates what Jesus Christ does. We don't need apostles anymore. We don't need prophets anymore. That was for a time and its season. Now we have the office of apostles has been set aside, but the work of the apostles, we're still being sent out. We're still the messengers. We are the messengers that are being sent out. Not apostles in a sense like the 12 apostles. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what it tells us. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Now look at this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Did you get that? See, this household of God is built on the foundation. A foundation is once and, for, once and for all. The foundation is set. Now it's time to build on it. And this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. You don't have more prophets and apostles, just like you don't have more Jesuses and cornerstones. You build a foundation, you lay it down, and it's set, and everything else starts to build up. I know a little bit later, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to turn there right now. In Ephesians chapter 4, and 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. When, G when Paul said, yes, there are still some prophets. Yes, there's still some apostles. But once the prophets and apostles have been laid to rest and once they, they stopped, what we have left after this, what we have left are the evangelists. We have the shepherds, pastors. We have teachers. Later on in Timothy, Paul says we also have deacons. We have bishops. We have overseers. We have Sunday school teachers. The foundation has been laid, and it is now the officers of the church that are moving the church forward. And every authentication, every sign and wonder that was done by the apostles no longer is needed because we have sola scriptura, the scripture. See, what happens, beloved, is that there's a lot of people out there that claim to have a title. And so you say, well, how can I trust the message? Well, you got to know the messenger. And how do I know the messenger? Well, you got to know his authority. Where does this authority come from? A lot of these people are self-proclaimed. 
They proclaim themselves to be pastors. They proclaim themselves to be uh, apostles. They proclaim themselves to be these prophets. And a lot of times these prophets, and is, is happening, has happened quite a bit, these prophets that prophesy over people and get it wrong, well, you know, I'm kind of growing in this prophecy. I'm kind of growing in this. Yes, I got it wrong, and, and you know, I, I, I don't get everything 100%. Well, beloved, unfortunately, the Bible says, when you speak, thus says the Lord, and the Lord didn't say thus, and it doesn't happen, you're supposed to be killed. I mean, there's no seconds or third chances. When a prophet says, this is what God said, oops, I was wrong, you're not a prophet. Because there is no such thing. There are pastors, there's teachers, there's deacons that we'll talk about later. What we have to do, beloved, is get to the word of God. Paul was an apostle, and this is what they were trying to argue. He didn't see the resurrection. He didn't see any of these things. As a matter of fact, these awes and wonders uh, and all these signs and all these things that, that they were seeing was authentication. And we have to understand this, that at the end time, when Jesus Christ returns and the new Jerusalem comes down, there are going to be gates, 12 gates, with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. And the wall in Revelation 21, 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the apostles of the Lamb. Not these 144 or 2,000 or, or these million apostles. 12. There are only 12. That's it. Only 12. And those 12 will be named on the foundations of the New Jerusalem. And that's what we have coming up. Now we have this apostoloi. Apostolos is the name of an apostle. An apostoloi is the name of a messenger. And there are some translations that'll say, and they were called the apostles or apostoloi, coming from the Greek word. But they are messengers, just like you and I are. We're messengers. We would be called apostolois. And you'll find that in 2 Corinthians and in Philippians chapter 2. The, the 12 were apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's the, the thing about the apostles of Jesus Christ. Before they, they, they selected um, Matthias, right before Pentecost, Judas was replaced, as I mentioned, by Matthias. And so what they did is his brothers, we have to have another person replace him. So here was the criteria. And this is not just mentioned here, but it's mentioned somewhere else. The criteria is this. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus Christ went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. One of these men, self-proclaimed apostles, cannot fulfill that criteria. And you'll hear, well, I saw, I had this vision, I had a revelation. Beloved, be wise, be careful, because there are a lot of voices out there. And I'm trying to help you to see, how can I trust the message? You got to know the messenger. You got to know his authority. And number three, I need to know his credentials. Where did he come from? Where did he learn? Where did he pick up this information? How did he get it? And this is what the Judaizers in the cities of Galatia were trying to tell these churches. This guy didn't know anybody. He just all of a sudden shows up and says, hey, I'm an apostle. Really? By what authority? By, by what, what, what credentials does he have? 
And he goes on to say, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. He says, not from man. Nobody gave me this credential. I didn't have to buy into or pay. There's an organization today called the Apostolic Ministry that for $175, you can become an apostle. And if you add your wife to it, I think it's twice the amount. There's certain things that you have to be able to do and say, but you can't buy this. You can't even get close to it. We have to understand that Paul had to give himself some sort of a recognition, some sort of a testimony to show this is what happened. And this is what he says. Because false teachers were accusing Paul of this self-appointed apostleship. He says, no, I, I didn't go to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he didn't. I never ended up there. I, I didn't go there and get appointed or commissioned. I got it straight from Jesus Christ. He didn't, he didn't appoint himself, not from man, nor through man. No human means of any sort was involved in his apostolic commissioning. No human source, no human ceremony, no human laying on of hands, no group, no nothing. In Jerusalem, while he was there, and in Antioch or anywhere else that he went, was, was there any, uh, he was involved as an apostle, and nobody there, no, none of the elders, none of them were able to lay their hands on him and say, okay, you're an apostle. But what they did do is they sent him out after they recognized his authority. You see, Paul had insight. And if you remember correctly, most people believe that the book of 1 Corinthians was the first book that was written uh, before the Gospels were even written. So Paul is talking to them from and writing to them from his experience with Jesus Christ. And as he's talking and sharing with them about Jesus Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says this, and talking about the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, if those books are written later, Paul had no communication and contact with them. How does he know? Jesus Christ revealed it to him. As a matter of fact, many times we read just right over this, but he says this, For I received from the Lord. He received this from the Lord. What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. He said, This is my body. And he, gave, he broke it and gave thanks. And he does the same thing with the blood. And we read this every time that we take communion, the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, he says, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. That's the Gospel. Many years later, when he connects with Peter and James, James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and he starts to preach, and, and the apostles are saying, well, yeah, that's what, we've that's what we were taught. That's what we saw. That's what we know, and that's what we believe. And it coincided beautifully. It was together, one gospel. And they, they said, fine, Paul, you know, you're doing a great job. Go and preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul had a passion for the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Peter had a passion for the Jewish people. And together, they went out and they ministered to, to both groups. And they continued to spread the gospel everywhere they went. Paul's original call to apostleship was directly through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. You know, he acknowledges God as Father. And, and rightly so, he is our Father. But more importantly, he's acknowledging that he is the father of Jesus Christ. That it was God, the father himself, 
and Jesus Christ, both joining together to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus called Paul and set him apart. Before he had contact with any of the other apostles, as I was saying, Paul never missed an opportunity to mention the resurrection of Jesus. And, and as he's talking about this particular point in his life, he says, God raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ. That's how we know if nothing else, if nothing else, Jesus Christ was resurrected. Without the resurrection, then there's nothing else. If nothing else would have taken place, just the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ would have been sufficient. Without the resurrection, nothing else matters. Jesus could have just been a really good guy. He could have been a really great teacher. He could have ministered to a lot of people. But it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that sets us apart from any other religion. He never missed an opportunity to mention the resurrection, without which the gospel would be powerless. The God who appointed Paul as an apostle was the God, the Father who raised his son from the dead. And so he, Paul certainly had a, a vastly superior commissioning than any of the other apostles did, and definitely from any of the Judaizers. They were self-proclaimed. They were actually, what they were doing, they were accusing Paul of having to be done. And they were confusing the people in Galatia. And they were setting themselves above his authority. And they were belittling Paul's authority. And they were knocking him down. And it's interesting because we have no writings of these guys. All we have is mention of them today. But the power and the authority in God's word comes from a God-ordained, God-filled, spirit-filled individual that has given us these letters to be able to look into and recognize the places that we worship at and the things that we should be aware of and how it is that it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to trust the message, not only do I need to trust the messenger or know the messenger, not only do I need to know his authority, not only do I need to know his credentials, but number four, I need to know his associates. Who are his friends? Who are his co-workers? Who is it that you hang out with? You know, you can be one thing today in church, but what, what, who are the people that you're hanging out with? What are the things that are influencing you? You know, you can fool some of the people some of the time, as the saying goes, but you'll never fool God. God knows exactly who you are. And that person who you are, it, it comes through. Others can actually see it. You think you're fooling those people because of your associations. And if you associate with godly people, it's just going to imbue. You're going to recognize that this person is a godly man and he's doing the best he can to be able to please God and to please his son, Jesus Christ. Because he goes on to say in verse two, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. He says, then all the brothers who are with me. And he's talking to the churches in Galatia. Paul's authority is implied by his referring to his companions who were with him at the time of his writing as brethren, as the brotherhood, as his beloved, in contrast to his own identity as an apostle. He says, you know these guys. You know Barnabas. You know Titus. You know these men. These men have given their life in servitude to Jesus Christ. You know what they've been doing. And so there are a lot of things that some of these uh, churches and pastors have looked at and seen. And yet, when you look at who they are and, and the things that they say and they do on their free time or spare time or outside of the church, it has to bring some sort of understanding. Who are these guys? Who are they associating with? 
Many of the Judaizers were, of course, in for the money. They wanted the attention. They wanted the loyalty of the churches. They wanted just them. The things that they accused Paul of were the things that, he was do- that they were doing. And so we, we have to understand that today we have to look at the church and, and get it back, reform it back to what Paul and the churches and, and the, the apostles had intended for it to be. Now, we've modernized a lot of things, I know, and that's good. But yet, it's the basic doctrines, the basic teachings of the, the Word of God that we have to get back to. The Twelve, Jesus told the Twelve uh, in John 13, verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. A short while later, in John 14, 25 through 26, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Because the apostles' teaching came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, the writings of Paul, Peter, John, and the others are every much as divinely inspired. God's word, sola scriptura, and they're authoritative as the words of Jesus as he spoke them, as if he himself were speaking them in his earthly ministry. Because he did speak many of these things that were written down, and it was brought to remembrance, and they wrote it down, and they poured it out on the pages so that we can have it today. And it is for that reason that a lot of people are, when they look at, well, the Gospels, and you'll probably see uh, my Bible, that it has the red letter. And the, the red letter Bible, sometimes people say, well, you know, that's more authoritative than just the black letter. We had a, a, a person here in our church that said, well, it's only the red letter that I'm concerned about. I, I don't, I'm not concerned about what Paul wrote. I'm not concerned about what anybody else wrote. Only what Jesus wrote. And it's all. It's all or nothing. All of it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, all scripture. Even what Paul was writing to Timothy at that time, all of it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And the author of every word is Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit inspired. And if Jesus would have said it, the apostles would have wrote it. And whatever it is that we have today, we have it right here. And as you've heard me say many times before, I am committed to a closed canon, meaning that everything I need to know is right here. If whatever is out there in the world, if it aligns with Scripture, then I don't need it because I got it right here. And if it doesn't align with Scripture, I don't want it because this is what we need. The Word of God. And I don't accept any other outside revelation. People come up to me many times and say, well, you know, the Lord said to me, and they start telling me or trying to prophesy over me. And I stopped and I says, well, you know, I I talked to God this morning and He didn't say anything to me about that. But let me see what the Bible says. Oh, well, here's what the Bible says about prophets and false prophets. Here's what the Bible says about those that pretend or want to be able to speak, thus says the Lord. And so, beloved, it's got to be in here. Now, there are a lot of things that we infer because sometimes it's not very conclusive. But we don't take that inference or that one thing and make a doctrine out of it. Sometimes we, we, we look at Scripture and you have to look at what the whole Word says. This is why I'm taking you chapter, excuse me, this is why I'm taking you book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. So that we can get the whole feel of what every word that Paul, Jesus Christ, and the other apostles have said to us. 
Because the Bible is God's own word, to be subject to God is to be subject to the Bible. It is not a combination of human opinion, but the source of divine truth. And that is where we stand. In verse 2, as I said, and all the brothers who are with me, and he addresses this letter to the churches of Galatia. This is a basic salutation. But this salutation is a little more in-depth for us. It's a little bit more of who Paul is because of the message that he gets across. This is why we have to know the messenger. This is why I need to know his authority. This is why I need to know his credentials. This is why I need to know his associates. And this is why I need to know what his message is. And he says in verses 3 and 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory and forever and ever. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Always. As Paul will explain later in his epistle, the gospel he preached, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In this gospel that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die in sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Healed not in the physical sense because even Peter wasn't healed. Paul wasn't healed. Not healed in a sense where God make my body better, but healed from this wicked world of sin unto salvation. That's the healing that we all look for and look to. To the most precious words that uh, related that God given to the gospel are grace and peace. The first is a source of salvation and the second is a result of it. Grace that which you do not deserve. You cannot demand grace because if you demand it and God has to give it to you, it's not grace. Grace is not something I deserve. Grace is something that God gives me and I am ever thankful for what he gives me. Peace, peace, that shalom that we've talked about, that completeness, that wholeness, that, that ability to understand that all things are going to be all right is the result of that grace because that grace has saved me from an eternal damnation it has saved me somebody asked me what does grace save you from it saves you from the wrath of God that's what for the wrath of God is being displayed to the whole world today and it is being displayed in such a way that we have to understand this grace grace and once you understand what you've been saved from what else can happen to you once you understand what you've been saved from and this grace that has been given to you by God, peace. What can the world do? What can this government do? What can anybody do? Nothing in all creation, nothing in, in heaven or earth, heights or lows, nothing, demons, angels, nothing can separate you from that love of God. Beloved, we have to understand this. This is, this is so important. This epistle that Paul gives us, we have to understand that we cannot let the church fall into the hands of anybody else that's coming in and saying, oh no, yes, Jesus Christ, but, or Jesus Christ, and, no, Jesus Christ, and that's it. Sola Scritura, sola gratia, only grace. 
There's three other ones that we're going to be talking about as well. It's interesting, and I'm going to get into it next week, that this is a common salutation. One thing that doesn't happen in this salutation that all the other epistles have. After he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Usually he says, I commend you for your faithfulness, your work. I, I, you know, there's a commendation, but not here. He lays right into him. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There's no commendation. He just lays right into them. And all the way to chapter 6 to the end of the chapter, he is just, I can't believe it. After all that Jesus Christ has done, you're listening to this other gospel, which is not even a gospel at all. Beloved. That is the passion, the power of God, the passion of Paul to get the church right. Paul is constantly addressing us. I pray that you can take this to heart. And I pray that together we understand that we have to prepare the church. Because there is no fear this year. There isn't. We've gone through this molting period this last year. It's time to start eating that fresh meat. It's time to start flying like the eagles that God has prepared you to be. It's time to move forward. We are so poised right now, beloved. Join us as we move forward. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your awesome word. Thank you, Lord. I know this salutation. I know this, this beginning of the chapter is very simple. But Lord, when we come to understand what Paul is facing and what he's addressing, we come to see it in a whole different light. Paul just didn't take this for granted. He is adamant. He is zealous in the sense where he was before against the church, but now for the church. I pray, Lord, that we can be the same, that we protect the, the, the holiness of the church and not let anything else come in. Thank you for your word, Lord, that we meditate upon and that we look upon and that we read. Thank you, Father. Dismiss us now. And Father, I pray that you continue to abide with us. And thank you once again for all that you've done for us. And how you continue to minister to us in so many different ways. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until next time, this is Pastor Sell, North Park Baptist Church, signing out.